ಅಸತೋಮಸದ್ಗಮಯ ತಮಸೋಮ್ಯೋತಿರ್ಗಮಯ ಮೃತ್ಯೋರ್ಮಾ ಅಮೃತ ಗಮಯ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 ಓಂ ವಸುದೇವಸುತಂದೇವಂಕಸಚಾಣೂರಮರ್ಗಣ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಾನಂದ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ನಮಸ್ಕಾರ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಗುಡ್ ಈವ್ನಿಂಗ್ ಟು ಎವ್ರಿಬಡಿ ಹೂಸ್ ಹಿಯರ್ ಐ ವುಡ್ ಲೈಕ್ ಟು ಫಸ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಆಲ್ ಥ್ಯಾಂಕ್ the authorities the management here uh, at the temple for helping us to organize this talk i would like to thank the vedanta society in phoenix um for making it possible you know swami vivekananda you must have all heard of swami vivekananda who came to this country 125 years ago in 1893 the world parliament of religions is this too loud you can yeah it's all right he was the first hindu monk to come and give a talk to come and teach vedanta in the united states uh, in the west in fact and in 1894 he established the vedanta society of new york the first of the vedanta societies and one more later on in in california in in northern california he established one more vedanta society um some of you may not know that there is actually a vedanta society of uh, phoenix it's in it's in tempe um more details will be given to you by mangesh ji who is here right at the back you can raise your hand <laughs> so they all keep organizing programs like this once in a while today the subject that has been set is the bhagavad gita in uh, practical life maybe we could shut the door so that yeah yes so the bhagavad gita in practical life the bhagavad gita if there is one text that is representative of hinduism it is the bhagavad gita and in vedanta also the root texts are the upanishads and based on the root texts the entire system of vedanta is set up in fact when you learn what vedanta is the definition is vedanta nama upanishad pramanam so vedanta has many schools this particular tradition here in this temple it's in the madhva sampradaya so different traditions different uh, schools of vedanta shankaracharyas advaita vedanta now when i say shankaracharya's vedanta or madhvacharya's vedanta that's not strictly correct because these traditions are very ancient long before the acharyas themselves and all the acharyas whether shankara or ramanuja or madhva and others they acknowledge that they are uh, bhashyakaras they are system builders but they are not the the founders of these uh, sampradayas they all these sampradayas they they go all the way back to shri bhagavan from from it's all all divine uh, descent now 
the the essential teachings are in the Upanishads and based on the Upanishads the, the central teachings of the Upanishads have been systematized in the Bhagavad Gita Swami Vivekananda said it's um, the Upanishads are like a dense jungle with uh, you have beautiful flowers here and there but uh, it requires an expert to go in there and pick out what is necessary but the Bhagavad Gita is a, like a bouquet of beautiful flowers picked and presented in a, in a beautiful bouquet Vedanta has is what is has what is called the triple foundation prasthanatraya Upanishads are the root texts so they comprise what is called Shruti Prasthana and uh, the practical application of the Upanishads in, in life which is our subject today is found in the Bhagavad Gita which is known as Smriti Prasthana there's also another text called the Nyaya Prasthana called the Brahma Sutras in sutra form the entire system of Vedanta is uh, found there the philosophy the philosophical aspects discussions on various questions of philosophy the um, the reasoning doubts are raised questions of harmonization of the teachings of the Upanishads uh, various uh, points of view are discussed so that is the Upanishads uh, that is the Brahma Sutras it's called the Nyaya Prasthana so the three broad foundations of Vedanta are the Upanishads the Bhagavad Gita and the Brahma Sutras these are what might be called the foundational texts Shruti Prasthana, Smriti Prasthana and Nyaya Prasthana today our subject is the Bhagavad Gita but before I enter into Bhagavad Gita for daily life I'll also say a few things about the great systems of Vedanta Advaita, Vishishta Advaita and Dvaita which is the system propounded by the great Madhvacharya a great scholar, a philosopher of the Madhva system Srinivas Varkedi he once we had a long discussion and he told me something very interesting he said depending on what question you ask to the Upanishads you will get a different system how he said suppose you ask what is real and what is unreal to the Upanishads and build a system based on that question you will get Advaita Vedanta if you ask what is whole and what is part and that question you ask you will get the great system of Vishishta Advaita Vedanta Ramanuja and if you ask what is independent what is the one independent reality in this universe and what everything else is dependent on it then you get the system of Dvaita Vedanta of, of Madhvacharya so it was an interesting way of looking at it I never thought about it that way but Professor Varkedi told me this Bhagavad Gita is a very practical text it has to be where was the Gita taught not in a temple not in Vedanta society also not in the Himalayas but in the, on the battlefield 
which, which symbolizes the battle of life, the life that we are leading. Just one clarification, though most Indians don't need it, but in the West I have faced this question sometimes. So the, the Bhagavad Gita was preached on a battlefield and Krishna urged Arjuna to fight the righteous war. So is it about war and fighting? Not at all. Bhagavad Gita has really nothing to do with war and fighting. So no, it's set in a battlefield and the whole context is a battle. That's true, but it is symbolic. And how do I make this claim? How do I make this claim? Because for the last, say about 1400 years, when the great commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita have been written, there is Shankaracharya's Bhashya on the Bhagavad Gita, Ramanuja's Bhashya on the Bhagavad Gita, Madhvacharya's Bhashya on the Bhagavad Gita, and many others, Madhusudan Saraswati, Sridhar Swami, many, many others, Shankarananda, and many others. In each system, there are multiple commentaries, Bhashyas and Tikas and Tipanis on the Bhagavad Gita. Nowhere, to my knowledge, till today, even down to Bal Gangadhar Tilak's, um, you know, um, the Karma Rahasya and all of that on Bhagavad Gita just the other day. Not one Hindu commentator has ever said that Gita is about fighting. Not one. Nowhere. No Indian takes it in that sense. So that's a clarification. It's, a, it's symbolic and it stands for the, the struggle that we have to undergo in life. Otherwise, what interest is it to us to Indians or to the people at large in the world or today here in Phoenix in the 21st century in the United States. What interest is it to us that some cousins of a royal family fought a civil war thousands and thousands of years ago uh, in Kurukshetra? It is of no practical consequence to us. What is of consequence to us is the meaning of the Bhagavad Gita and the philosophy of Bhagavad Gita as it applies to our life. Mahatma Gandhi, who engaged in a non-violent struggle for freedom from the British, he was inspired by the Bhagavad Gita. So Bhagavad Gita did not inspire him to a violent struggle, just the opposite, non-violent struggle. So anyway, having cleared up that one, let me go into the subject uh, today, Bhagavad Gita and practical life. I will speak for a while and then maybe we could interact, you could ask questions and we could interact. There is this whole question of secular and sacred that many, many people ask this question. We lead busy lives. We have so much to do in life. And granted that religion, spirituality are important and they can enhance my life, they are good for me. But where is the time? Granted, I understand that the ultimate goal of human life is liberation. Swami Vivekananda put it so powerfully, the goal of human life is to manifest the divinity already within us. And he said, do it by work or worship or psychic control, by which he meant dhyana meditation, or philosophy, by which he meant jnana yoga, by one or more or all of these and be free. And it's interesting, basically the whole of Bhagavad Gita is that, karma yoga, jnana yoga, bhakti yoga and dhyana or raja yoga. Now, granted that this is important, but we have so little time. You are a monk, so your whole life can be dedicated to spirituality or whatever it is. But we have to make a living. There are families to take care of. There are uh, you know, um, careers to be pursued. 
education and job and so and so forth and so much of struggle in life. This is where the Bhagavad Gita becomes important. It is a philosophy for life, not a philosophy divorced from life. It is a philosophy which divinizes life. Swami Vivekananda once said, He who runs away from life to meditate and die in a Himalayan cave has missed the way. Then he said, He who plunges in headlong into the vanities and foolishnesses of life, he too has missed the way. Now that's interesting. If you run away from life, you have missed the way. If you plunge into life, you have missed the way. Then what is the way out? He said the way is to divinize life itself. To see God in whoever you are with, wherever you are, doing whatever action you are doing. To see God in everything, to divinize life itself. That is the way. And that is the, actually, in a sense, the philosophy of Bhagavad Gita. It spiritualizes the whole of life. It does not divide life into two parts. One is your job, family, all of that. And another one is God. It does not do that. It's a, a holistic philosophy which takes life, life as it is and spiritualizes it. Otherwise, what happens, you know? Temple, meditation room or an ashram, we said that that is the place for spirituality. And the rest of the world is excluded from that. And then these complaints will come. That, you know, when I sit for meditation, I'm so tired after the day's work, I cannot concentrate. Or I do not find time for meditation at all. If you divide life into two parts, compartmentalize it. Spirituality, one part, and my rest of my life, my secular life, another part. Spirituality will always be the loser. Why? Because most of your time, by necessity, most of our time, most of our energy is dedicated to secular life. Except maybe the priest in the temple or the monk in the ashram, everybody else, almost all the time and energy is devoted to the world. And so whatever little time is left over, whatever little energy is left over, that is given to God and that's not enough usually. So always, you see, one of the first things that is sacrificed is our spiritual practice. I'm not feeling too well today or cut down on the meditation. You never say cut down on the job, you get fired. I'm not feeling too well today. I won't go and pick up the kid from school. No, impossible. <laughs> Who's going to pick up the kid? You have to go, no matter how sick you are feeling. But meditation, prayer, study, okay, I'll cut it down. Not today, tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. Often many of the great things in our life which have ultimately great benefits for us, those are, are the ones which are also easy not to do. There's this phrase, easy to do and easy not to do. Spiritual practice is like that. It's easy to do, but it's also easy not to do. So that's why often it gets the uh, short shrift. The solution to this is to spiritualize life itself, our work itself, our interactions with other people. One great complaint that we often find is that in meditation, Always this question will be there. Swami, when we try to meditate, the mind wanders. It goes here and there. Mind does not, it's difficult to concentrate. Either the mind is wandering, distracted, or we fall asleep. One of the two. But concentrating deeply and being absorbed in God, in whatever meditation you are doing, very difficult. The answer to that is in this philosophy of Bhagavad Gita, 
which is spiritualizing life itself. Every activity in life can be spiritualized. There is a reason why meditation is difficult. Why is meditation difficult, you know? Why does the mind wander? Because in meditation, what do you do? You sit, we are told, in the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Sri Krishna teaches Arjuna. You have to sit straight, kaya, shiro, grivam, you know, keep your uh, body in this, in this straight line, sit straight, close your eyes or fix your eyes on one point, withdraw from the uh, sense uh, activities, um, focus inwards. Now, what happens is, once you withdraw your mind from external activities, I will not see, I will not hear, I will not read, I will not talk, I will not do any active, I will not move around. None of that I do. Once I withdraw from all activities, then the entire cognitive capacity of the mind is free. Which was engaged in many things. It's free. When it is free, then it goes here and there. It is available for uh, it, it, that free bandwidth. All sorts of thoughts, ideas come up and your mind goes in various directions. If you are engaged, see it's a simple thing like when we tell students, many times students used to come and say when I am reading a book, my mind goes somewhere else. After 15-20 minutes I am fine, I am staring at the same page but I have not read anything. And what do we tell the students at that time? Do active reading. It's well known in educational psychology. Instead of just staring at the page, take out a pencil or a pen. Uh, underline it, write notes, annotate it, take notes, stop in a once in a while, look back on what you have done. Basically, what are you doing? You are engaging the other faculties. Your hand is engaged, you have to underline it, you have to summarize it, you have to take notes, you have to recollect it. So you are engaging. But if that engagement is not there, you tell the person to stop everything. Then all that cognitive capacity will be free and it's free to run here and there. That's why Exactly the same thing happens in meditation. The whole purpose of meditation is to free up that cognitive capacity so that you can concentrate all of it on God. But concentrating all of it on God, it requires a lot of mastery. Because we don't have that mastery, the mind runs amok. It runs here and there. Therefore, a great solution is suggested by Krishna. In fact, Arjuna himself asked Sri Krishna, after being taught meditation, he said, this meditation you have taught me, O Krishna, is useless. Why? Because the mind is very difficult to control. The whole basis of meditation is putting the mind on one point, on concentrating on the, um, on the Ishta Devata, for example, in the form of the Lord, concentrating, or on the Atman. But it's so difficult to control. It's like trying to control the air. Arjuna asks Krishna. Anyway, so that Krishna gives some answer. He says, Vairagya Nabhyasa. But another great solution to this problem is karma yoga which, which Krishna has suggested. So today we shall see the different dimensions of karma yoga. It is meditation with eyes open. It is meditation when you are walking and talking and engaged with the world. That very powerful dimension of karma yoga, this is what we are going to see. When you are taking care of say patients in a hospital or a sick person at home, when you are teaching little children in class, then you don't say that my mind is running here and there because the patient or the little children, they will force you to concentrate. 
you can't say i don't pay i'm not paying attention i'm thinking of something else no then you cannot control the class you cannot teach in the class you cannot take care of the patient and so on so when you are engaged in work it is actually much easier to control the mind for ordinary people for beginners than when you are engaged directly in meditation krishna says this to arjuna arurukshor muner yogam karma karana mutyate yoga arurasya tasyaiva shama karana mutyate sixth chapter bhagavad gita sixth chapter where is teaching meditation before teaching meditation shri krishna tells arjuna actually for beginners for a long time work is the best uh, method of meditation for yogis who are beginning their path aruruksha who are climbing the path of yoga climbing the ladder of spiritual practice for them work is the best foundation work by work he means karma yoga once the mind is purified and is under control once the mind has become finer then he says shama shama means quieting down controlling external activities internal activities sitting down sitting meditation directed inwards with eyes closed that becomes effective from the very beginning we try to jump into meditation because everything that is glamorous work karma yoga seva that is that is something lower that sitting like this and breathing like this that is higher more glamorous advanced spiritual practice swami ashokananda ji who was here in the vedanta society of northern california many years ago 1950s 60s he recommended karma yoga to some um, american disciple and this lady ashokan ji says i know what you are thinking he tells this lady you are thinking swami does not think i am i am ready for meditation so he is giving me this lower form of practice karma yoga well i will show him and ashokan ji says you will show me but not in the way you think you you will <laughs> You, you will actually show that you are not ready for meditation so that is the first aspect of karma yoga an extremely important preparation for meditation very important preparation for uh, meditation for dhyana for gyana there's a preliminary aspect and it's it cannot be done away with we must do that a little diversion here before i go on to a higher aspect of karma yoga in the shankara system advaita vedanta is say you are you are brahman you and brahman are one tatvamasi then the question will be if i am brahman why don't i know myself i think i am swami sarvapriyananda i don't know myself as brahman how is this possible and what is the solution so the answer is in shankara system advaita vedanta they will say that uh, agyana you do not know this this is called agyana ignorance what ignorance not ign- ignorance of computers or science or mathematics or sanskrit no ignorance of the fact that you are the divine you are one with god that you do not know that so if ignorance is the problem then what is the solution for any kind of ignorance knowledge yes so any kind of ignorance so ignorance about myself i need knowledge about myself if i am ignorant about sanskrit then i need knowledge about sanskrit if i am ignorant about myself my own self that i am brahman then i need knowledge about myself and how does that knowledge come so they will say in uh, in the advaita vedanta the system is shravana manana nididhyasana 
you listen to these teachings from a teacher, Upanishadic teachings, then reason it out. All your doubts have to be answered. Once you have got, you have, you have heard the teachings, you have understood it, meditate upon it, Nididhyasana. And then this Brahmagyana is called Brahmakara Vritti. It will come, remove ignorance. Very good, but practical problem. Like Arjuna will scratch our head and say, this is a good idea, but it's not working. Why not? I have been attending so many talks, seminars, satsangs, reading so many books. Brahmakara Vritti, Brahmagyana. Not coming. Then what is the problem? Why is it not working? Knowledge should come and remove ignorance, but not coming. No knowledge. Knowledge of the Upanishad is there. Memorized all Upanishad. I remember a great Advaita teacher, a great scholar from Chennai. He had come to our main monastery in Belurmat near Calcutta too. He was teaching us the Adhyasa Bhashyam of Shankaracharya. And uh, for nearly 45 minutes without reference to the book, he is telling us and teaching in Sanskrit. So we asked him, he speaks only in Sanskrit. So we asked him that, oh, how is it that you can teach without a book? He said, I've taught it, he's more than 80 years old. You have taught this particular topic more than a thousand times. So naturally, it's all memorized. He is what is called a Mahamahopadhyaya, one of the highest titles in Sanskrit scholarship. Then he said, one day he said, sort of, you know, with uh, dry humor, he said, I am Mahamohopadhyay, so and so, with so many degrees. And all of these have studied and texts I have mastered. But if you ask, are you enlightened, Brahmagyani? He said, <laughs> like this. So what is the problem? Why is it not happening? Vedanta says, Advaita says, the problem is that um, mind is not capable of absorbing this. You read it, you understand it, but it's not assimilating it. It's not uh, that enlightening moment is not coming, mind is scattered. So the second level of problem is called Vikshepa. You may be thinking, what is the first problem? Agyana. Second level problem, Vikshepa. Scattered mind. In the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, Kathamrita, in one place you find people are discussing Advaita. Sri Ramakrishna is not saying anything, he's sitting quietly and listening. Then suddenly he says, he makes only one comment. These words are good, but they need to be assimilated. In Bengali he said, Kothagulo bhalo, dharana hawa chai. Those words are good, but dharana is necessary. Ability to hold it, to assimilate it is necessary. So, vikshepa is the problem. Then what is the solution? The solution is, Ekagrata, Vikshepa means scattered. The solution is simply focus, concentration. This is actually a great topic today, in the 25th century. Even this famous writer, Daniel Goldman, have you heard of uh, emotional intelligence? You know, he's very famous book. What happened was in the 1970s, 80s, 70s, 80s, I think. They did a study that uh, people with high IQ, Intelligence quotient. You would expect them to succeed in life. Not necessarily. Not any more than others. Then what is what determines success in life? So a lot of investigation was done and this whole idea of emotional intelligence came up. 
uh, it's not so much intelligence which determines success in life but other components of emotional intelligence not not the IQ not the intellect alone emotional intelligence Daniel Goleman wrote about it things like ability to control one's impulses ability to understand one's own emotions and the emotions of others empathy social intelligence ability to understand people communication these things that same Daniel Goleman has recently written another book focus he says we are in a crisis of attention today in this, this world partly because of our digital all those devices and this is a very disciplined crowd so everybody has put the de devices away but often you find compulsively people are looking at it everywhere so he has written this uh, book called focus anyhow in Advaita Vedanta also it says that distraction of mind scatteredness of mind is the problem Swami Vivekananda himself said the difference between an ordinary person and a great person lies in the degree of concentration a great person has tremendous powers of concentration so the more successful you are and I've noticed this whether it is in academics or sports or art or whatever it is those who have succeeded they may have many things like talent and good luck and good placement and maybe good education what not many things but one thing is common those who consistently succeed they have tremendous powers of focus or at least extraordinary powers of for the time being at least they can cut everything else out and focus on what they are doing so vikshepa is the problem and the solution is ekagrata what is the method the method is dhyana dhyana meditation and it's a big subject especially these days you'll find so many supermarket of techniques if you just see especially in USA all sorts of te meditation techniques from Patanjali yoga which is the classic manual of, of uh, meditation written by Rishi Patanjali somebody said oh Patanjali yoga that is Baba Ramdev said Baba Ramdev is only now Patanjali yoga is thousands of years old uh, yoga sutras of Patanjali that is the classic text Swami Vivekananda in the end of 19th century in New York he wrote the classic Raja Yoga which is in English a commentary on the Patanjali Yoga Sutras but then many other things from Buddhist Vipassana meditation to various forms of Tibetan Buddhist meditation to Kundalini Yoga to Mantra Yoga so many all of them have one great benefit concentration with a concentrated mind if you bring that mind to bear on Vedantic truths you will get enlightenment that's the promise so what should you do practice meditation again like Arjuna we scratch our head and say um, little problem what is the problem I try to practice meditation but I fall asleep or my mind goes here and there concentration is not happening third level problem and I promise this is the last level problem third level problem is it's called chitta mala impurity of mind we have dumped so many things in our mind throughout our life and many lives passed so our minds are festering with all sorts of vasanas impressions how do I know that my mind is impure you're just accusing me of having an impure mind I don't feel any impure thought the very fact that I sit for meditation you can try it right now sit for meditation Krishna keep Krishna in your heart and reply uh, and repeat Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya once twice thrice four times 
by the time you reach the tenth time, you already forgotten. Was it the fifth time or sixth time? Mind has gone elsewhere. The very fact that I decide to keep my mind on Krishna here in my heart and repeat the mantra within 10 seconds, 30 seconds or one minute, mind has gone elsewhere. This is a sign of impurity of mind. Or samskaras. There, there are powerful, un, uh, there are unmanifested tendencies inside the mind, in the, in the subconscious mind, which keep on bubbling up and distracting us. So, chitta mala, mala means dirt, impurity. Then what is the solution? Simple. Purity of mind, chitta shuddhi. Like agyana, ignorance, solution was jnana. Vikshepa, scatteredness, solution was ekagrata, focus. Chitta mala, impurity, solution is purity, chitta shuddhi. How? How? One powerful technique is what we are discussing today, karma yoga. Work done with desire. Sakama karma creates vasanas in the mind creates tendencies in the mind which will accumulate. But work done without vasana, without uh, personal desire. So work done with, with desire, but desire is I will do seva in the temple, uh, I will do work for the homeless people, where I have no personal gain. That kind of work is called nish, nishkama karma, kama desire, nishkama without desire. Without desire means not that without any purpose, that is silly. There is a purpose, but the purpose is purification of the mind. Purpose is spirituality then, not personal gain. So when we do work for others, for their welfare, and I don't want anything from it, only my own spiritual benefit, nothing else, no material benefit from it, not even my name, not even my certificate, or I should be mentioned, no. Silently I work for doing something good for give my, freely of my service nishkama karma I do it as a worship of God I offer it to the Lord this is a powerful purifier chitta shuddhi so nishkama karma purifies the mind removes the chitta mala with that purified mind when I sit down for meditation then Vikshepa will be removed, scatteredness of the mind is removed and concentration is achieved, whatever technique of meditation you take up. In Uttarakhand, one sadhu said, Samadhi to asan hai Mahatma ji, Samadhi is very easy. So Samadhi is easy. Yes. Samadhi to asan hai Mahatma ji, do minute mein Samadhi ho jayega, shart hai ki shuddh chit laiye. I will give you Samadhi in two minutes, but the condition is come with a pure mind. That takes a lifetime of effort. <laughs> so with a pure mind when you meditate, ekagrata, concentration is achieved easily. And with a pure and concentrated mind, when you come to the teachings of Vedanta, Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana, illumination comes in a flash. Quickly it will come. My point in all of this was, look at the structure. This is the structure in Shankara Vedanta. In Shankara Vedanta, the structure is, Karma Yoga gives us purity of mind. Why is it necessary? Because we have impurities in mind. And then Upasana, meditation, gives us concentration of mind. Why is it necessary? Because we have, we lack concentration, Vikshepa. With concentrated, pure and concentrated mind, when we come to Shravana Manana Nidityasana, 
ज्ञान योग दैट विल गिव अस ब्रह्म ज्ञान एंड वॉट डज ब्रह्म ज्ञान डू इट रिमूव इग्नोरेंस एंड यू आर फ्री यू रियलाइज यू ऑलरेडी आर ब्राह्मण यू रियलाइज दैट दैट्स इट सो दैट इज द स्ट्रक्चर यू सी द फाउंडेशन इज कर्म योग द टीचिंग ऑफ श्री कृष्ण टू अर्जुन इन भगवद गीता now this karma yoga is understood at three levels one is what i just said nishkama karma work done without person without any desire for personal gain it's a very powerful spiritual practice that's one understanding i'll give you three understandings one by one deeper and deeper the first one is nishkama karma that in itself is a very powerful spiritual practice in fact swami vivekananda goes so far as to say karma yoga by itself can give you liberation he goes so far as to say that clearly that by itself this path itself unselfishness itself can lead you to moksha so karma yoga is one understanding that nishkama karma in fact sakama karma karma work done with desire when you are working and trying to earn money outside make a living or you are doing puja and rituals in the temple with a particular desire that is not wrong that's all right it's called sakama karma that sakama karma should be within the limits of dharma within the limits of right and wrong so it should be righteous it should not overstep the limits of dharma then then also it is right it is also uh, religious it is also good but higher than sakama karma is nishkama karma lower than sakama karma is adharmic karma karma which is done i want something and i will get it by hook and crook then that is no longer within the limits of religion i want money i want to be famous i want to be successful but i shall do it within the limits of ethics it's still work done with desire but that is accepted by dharma you are within the limits of dharma i shall do work i don't want anything from it then that sakama karma becomes nishkama karma karma becomes karma yoga you see adharmic action dharmic sakama karma higher than that nishkama karma which is karma yoga so shankara has this system karma yoga then upasana or dhyana yoga whatever you call it and then gyana yoga three levels gyana yoga gives moksha according to the shankara system if you ask ramanuja if you ask madhva madhvacharya then bhakti is at the top first karma everybody ramanujacharya madhvacharya shankaracharya without any kind of exception all say karma yoga is the foundation of spiritual life so that is one thing none of them are impractical they are very practical and karma yoga includes not only rituals performed in the temple but also vaidika laukika cha laukika work means our worldly activities your job your um, uh, raising a family whatever you are doing you can spiritualize it you can spiritualize it so that is the second now the second idea of karma yoga so what is the first idea of karma yoga selfless activity performed for the purification of the mind first idea of karma yoga it is the basis of all spirituality second idea of karma yoga karma yoga as upasana as worship of god not only for purification of mind karma yoga itself is the worship of god just when i sit here and meditate on god that karma yoga itself becomes the meditation on god meditation with eyes open how sri krishna tells arjuna 
यद्यत करोसी यदस्नासी यदजुहोसी यद तपस्यसी तद कुरुष्व मदर्पणम वॉट एवर वर्क यू आर डूइंग इन द वर्ल्ड यू ऑफर इट अन टू मी एज अ वर्शिप ऑफ द लॉर्ड स्वकर्मणा तम अभ्यच सिद्धिम विंदति मानव बाय वर्शिपिंग गॉड विथ आवर ओन एक्टिविटीज वन अटेन्स दक्सेस इन स्पिरिचुअल लाइफ वन अटेन्स परफेक्शन इन स्पिरिचुअल लाइफ हाउ इज दैट डन एवरी एक्टिविटी विवेकानंद स्वामी विवेकानंद सेज एवरीथिंग दैट यू डू कैन बी डन अन टू गॉड नेवर अप्रोच एनीथिंग एक्सेप्ट एज गॉड a powerful statement so when you are maybe you're cooking i remember in the himalayas i met a sanyasini of the madhva sampradaya i forget her name subhadra mata ji in in harshi she was uh, near harshi little higher than that the last village before gangotri dharali very austere sadhika i was looking i was i was traveling myself and i was asking who are the well known good sadhus some of them some of the good sadhus are not well known at all they are very secretive they remain by themselves so you have to find out i was very interested in meeting so i had very many interesting experiences meeting uh, good mahatmas in the himalayas a few of them i met so one of the people all they told me about her she is a sadhika of the madhva sampradaya and uh, she lives in this she spent a lot of time above gomuk in tapovanam and doing a lot of sadhana there for years together how did she live there is no food there it's just icy waste um it's the, that indian army on patrols it's a chinese border so they would give some food packets to her and that's how she, she survived i heard the story so now she was i don't know if she is still there i don't know the latest but that was this was more than 12 years ago so she has an ashram and uh, what she does is she is a worshipper of the child krishna gopala and the interesting thing is she sees krishna in everybody for her everybody is gopala and she will feed she will cook and feed everybody who goes uh, with the pilgrims who come on the on the path to gangotri so she anybody who comes to the ashram she feeds and i heard some very nice stories that one day she was doing aarti of gopala and uh, some people came pass passers by and they said they called out mata ji khilaiye oh, mother feed us and she put the lamp down and went into the kitchen and started making chapati and the devotees were sitting there they were little irritated they said mata ji please finish the aarti at least aarti to khatam kijiye please finish the aarti from the kitchen she is saying why my child i am doing the aarti yahi to this is the aarti of gopala kyon beta yahi to gopal ki aarti i am doing the aarti of gopala making the chapati making the food for gopala another interesting story i heard about her was that um, once she had a high fever and still people were coming all the time mata ji khilaiye please feed us mata ji and she would get up in spite of the fever and cook so somebody asked her don't you feel irritated people they, they have no consideration for you and they are doing this and she said 
she considered for a while and she said, Ha Baba, Bahut Taraki Logata. Yes, lot of different kinds of people come. Lekin Baba Sab Gopal hai. But my child, all of them are Gopala. All kinds of people come. She understands. But she says ultimately all of them are God. So all our actions are worship of Gopala. We might say that, oh she's imagining it. The fact is, she is seeing rightly, we are seeing wrongly. <laughs> she is seeing through the level of the body and the personality to the divinity behind. We get stuck at the level of the body or at the person, at the most the person. Neither body nor person, beyond that, not the mind, not the intellect, not the ego. Beyond that is the reality which is hidden from us. Manobudhyahankara chittani naham. Then what am I? Chidananda Rupa Shivoham, Shivoham, Gopaloham, whatever you say. That divinity is there. And she is seeing that. It's not imagination. So that is Upasana. Every work you do, whether it is cooking or feeding somebody or cleaning a place or working in the office, it can be done. Somebody asked me recently, what are the strangest places you have given lectures? Top five strange places. So one of the places was in the airport security. <laughs> in India, I was passing through Lucknow airport at night and I was the only transit passenger. You know like you have TSA agents in USA. Uh, in India you have the CISF, Central Industrial Security Force people. And what they do in India is they put you on a little wooden box and they'll frisk you. And of course you have to go through the scanner. And I was the only one dressed like this. Nobody else was there. So the policeman was there. He said, Kuch bataiye, give us a talk. I said, now. He said, yes, why not? And then he called the other policemen and policewomen because there are no other passengers. And they stood around and I, they made me stand on the box. Tell us. I was thinking what to say. And then I asked that policeman, uh, it is UP, Uttar Pradesh. So I asked him, do you do puja, any kind of worship before you leave house for your job? He said, yes, I offer flowers at the feet of Hanumanji. Hanumanji ko phul chada ke nikalte hain. I offer flowers at the feet of Hanumanji and then I come for work. I said, good. Then what you do is, every time a person comes in front of you, you have to check the person. Do it politely, friendly way, firmly, clearly, I mean, to all, all sincerity. And as that person, you see that person through, mentally offer a flower at the feet of Lord Hanuman, Anjaneer. Next person comes, again do that job, mentally offer a flower, one more flower at the feet of Lord Hanuman. You are so happy. He said, oh, wonderful, whole day of puja of Hanuman. <laughs> he said, are wah, din bhar Hanuman ji ka puja. You can convert every action into upasana, into a worship of the Lord. In our hospital in Benares, we have a sevashrama. They, the monks and the nurses and the doctors, they all work throughout the year to take care of the patient. Once in a year, it's all done in the spirit, spirit of worship. Once in a year, it's actually worship. So the monks will go around with flowers and garlands and they will garland the, pa uh, the patients and offer flowers and chant mantras and actually formally worship the patients. Once in the uh, rest of the year, injection and medicine and all that. 
But the symbol is that. Why Sri Ramakrishna said, Shiva Gyani Jiva Seva? So, Narendranath, who later became Vivekananda, he heard this and he said, Today a great secret has been revealed to me. I shall, if, the, if God gives me the chance, I shall broadcast it to the world. And basically the, all the service activities which you see done by the Ramakrishna order. And now not only Ramakrishna order, after that many other uh, Hindu orders, they have been doing it. In fact, nowadays if you go to India and you see some religious ashrama, a common question is, you will ask, and many people ask, what work are you doing for society? It was not always so. So Shiva Gyani Jiva Seva, you worship the Jiva knowing the Jiva to be Shiva. The sentient being is none other than God. In that spirit you worship. How will you worship? If, we, if my Lord comes in the form of a sick person, I worship with medicines and nursing. If he comes in the form of a hungry person, I worship with food. Comes in the form of an illiterate person, I worship with education. Comes in the form of a distressed person, um, a suffering person, I offer sympathy, counseling, courage. In all these ways, these are not secular activities. These are also worship of God. But that attitude has to be kept. That this is God. Make a firm effort and carry on that work which you are doing. So upasana, this is a deeper idea of karma yoga. Not only karma yoga for purifying my mind, then I will meditate, then I will do jnana yoga, then I will get moksha. No, no, no. That karma yoga itself is worship. Upasana. All are my gopala. Look at the beautiful attitude. Same thing what Sri Ramakrishna said. Shiva Gyani Jiva Seva. So this is the second attitude. The second, the deeper meaning of Karma Yoga. First was, karma, karma done without any personal gain for purification of mind. Second is, Karma done as Upasana, as worship. Just as you, just as that man offers flowers at the feet of Anjaniya Lord Hanuman, same way that man can worship God by doing his job in the security post in the airport. We can all do our jobs like that, whatever we are doing as worship of God. Upasana. Easy to do, but of, of course also easy not to do. <laughs> easy to, to do and easy not to do. Try it, one, one result will be joy. One result will be joy. There is a deeper point involved here. Before I go to the third and final aspect of Karma Yoga, how to make Bhagavad Gita practical in our life, there is a deeper point involved here. I just want to touch upon it. By converting our worldly activities into upasana, clearly our spiritual life will be benefited. That we see. But worldly life also will be benefited. One great problem in worldly life is after some time, job, family, whatever you are doing in life, it seems meaningless. What are you doing in life? Making a living. Struggling hard, life, day after day, month after month, year after year, work hard, make a living, until you end up wondering, why am I living at all? Meaninglessness. Meaninglessness in life. Sri Ramakrishna put it this way. Zeros. You put zeros one after another, still zero. One day you will feel, I've got so many zeros, but it's still zero. 
I've been collecting zeros only. Then he said, you put one before the zeros. One zero will be ten, two zeros will be hundred, three zeros will be thousand and so on. All the zeros you keep adding will keep on getting meaning from that value, from that one. That one is God. So, if you associate your activities, whatever we are doing, with worship of the Lord, those activities will get meaning. Nothing will be wasted. The job that you have done. See, at the end of his career, that policeman in the airport, when he retires, and he holds on only to God, children have grown up and gone away, job is over, old age has come, retired, alone, in front is only old age and disease and death. But, he feels, all my life, day in and day out, I have worshipped the Lord only. What a great source of strength. Throughout my days, I am holding on to the feet of Lord Hanuman. Not in rhetoric, actually I have practiced that. So, it will give great solace. One Swami told me, it's actual teaching of Sri Ramakrishna. One Swami told me, that whatever is the work given to you in the ashram, Hold on to the feet of the Lord with one hand, do the work with the other hand. When the work is finished, hold on to the feet of the Lord with both hands. That is, karma yoga is upasana. It will give meaning, your spiritual life will be energized. And our world, the life in the world, family, career, whatever, community, whatever activities you do, they will be spiritualized. They will become meaningful. You will not regret it. You will not regret anything in life anymore. All the life that has passed by will be meaningful, source of joy and peace. Because you will be able to say honestly to yourself, the only thing that I have done is sadhana. The only thing that I have done is I worship God, nothing else. I liked it so much when I read Mahatma Gandhi. He writes that, um, who am I? People think I am a freedom fighter. People think that I am a politician. Some people think I am a social reformer. But if you ask me, I am a simple man in search of God. So all the activities he did, struggling against the British for India's freedom, for the upliftment of the underprivileged classes in India, all of that which he did, so much of writing and uh, traveling and uh, the politics that he did, all of that, for him, it's not politics, it's not social reform. It is the worship of God. It unifies life. It gives integrity and unity to life. Not a fractured life. But there is a deeper meaning of Karma Yoga. The last, the deepest level of Karma Yoga. Let me talk about that at the end. Notice what Sri Ramakrishna said. <coughs> Shiva Gyanaji Jiva Seva. Interesting. Know the Jiva to be Shiva and serve the Jiva. He did not say, think of the Jiva as Shiva. Imagine that the Jiva is Shiva. He did not say that. Know the Jiva to be Shiva. So this is the deepest level. Where you realize that you are not worshipping God. You are actually realizing, experiencing God all the time. Sri Krishna teaches this highest worship. Deepest worship to Arjuna. And he says this can be done in action. Practical life. How is that? If you see Brahman in every action, 
not in meditation, not sitting quietly, in every action. The one who sees Brahman in every action, that one will become enlightened. Brahmaivatekatantapya, that one will attain Brahman. If you are following Madhva Sabdata, you will say attain Brahman means go to Narayana. If you are in the uh, Sri Vaishnava Sampradaya, you will say, I, I see my oneness as an Amsha of Vishnu, Shesha. Uh, he is the Sheshi, I am the Shesha. He is the Amshi, I am the Amsha of, of the Lord. If you are an Advaitin, you will say, Aham Brahmasmi. I am not an individual being. The pure consciousness which is manifesting through this body and mind, that is one with the absolute. Whatever it is, Know it to be so, not imagine it to be, not worship, not uh, work, it is knowledge. Karma Yoga itself is knowledge. The model, the paradigm is Yajna. In ancient times, even now also, sometimes in the puja, in the temple also you do this Havan, the ancient Vedic fire ritual. So what is done there? Fire is as a conduit for our offerings to God. There is a priest. There is the, the spoon, the ladle with which you put the offerings. And there are the offerings like ghee, which, you, which the priest offers them to the fire. So priest, ladle, ghee, fire and the act of offering. Krishna says, Brahma Arpanam. The ladle is not a ladle, it's Brahma. Brahma Avedi. That thing which you are offering. It's not an offering to God. It is Brahman. In Shankara Siddhanta they will say, later is name and form. The isness there is Brahman. Ghee or the Havi is name and form. The isness there, that is Sat, Brahman. It's not fire. It is Brahman. Fire is a name and form. It is Brahman itself. Brahmaivata. Shankaracharya in Bhashya says, Natatagni. It's not fire. Brahmaivata. It is Brahman. Brahmanavata. The priest. It's not a priest. It is Brahman with the name and form of priest. The one who has this attitude, Brahma Karma Samadhi, a beautiful term. Brahma Karma Samadhi is in every action who sees Brahma. Not imagines. It's a clear thing. Actually, that Mataji, is she imagining that it is Gopala or seeing that it is Gopala? She is seeing it. That is Brahma Karma Samadhi. In every action you see Brahma. In the instrument, the later you see Brahman. In the offering you see Brahman. In the fire you see Brahman. In the priest who is offering, you see Brahman. So it's not just in a yajna. This thing can be expanded to every action in life. When you are serving food to somebody, that person is Brahman. The food that you are serving is Brahman. These spoons with which you are serving is Brahman. The action of serving is Brahman. In this way, if you think, you realize inside, outside, everything is Brahman. So, spiritualizing life itself is to see the reality here and now. Vivekananda said, never approach anything except as God. It is Brahman. Three levels of Karma Yoga. One is Karma Yoga, 
without any desire for myself, I offer my services. Nishkama It purifies the mind. It's the foundation of spiritual life. Ask Shankara, ask Ramanuja, ask Madhva, everybody will say, you have to go through that phase. Second is Upasana. Karma Yoga, but done as worship of God. Not just for purification of mind. It is my worship. I imagine, I try to impose in my mind an effort. Here is God. Everybody tells me. In that person God is there, so my activities are a worship to God. Offering flowers at the feet of Hanuman every day, all through the day. Or Mataji is cooking, and so I am feeding Kumbhara. Upasana. Deeper. Not imagine. Actually know that it is Brahma. Brahma, Pranam, Brahma, Hari, Brahma, Brahma, So, three levels. Now look at the Veda, the whole Veda is structured in that way. Karma, Upasana, Jnana. So, Karma Yoga itself can be understood as Karma itself, as Upasana, as Jnana. One could go on with this theme, but I have run out of time. <laughs> Last question, gentlemen, please sit. Yeah, I know. Parkat Nyaya versus Marjara Nyaya. Yeah, it's and, then it should become Marjara Nyaya because in Bhagavad Gita it says you have to surrender. Yes. Like Marjara. Yes. So, which in Bhakti Yoga we are more like Marjara. Yes. And uh, are we not uh, spending so much because we are scaring people saying that All right. And, what? Uh, huh. So, which is, uh, you know, now in the modern world, karma yoga, like in Vedic time, we are going back to that type of that uh, karma yoga now, aren't we? All right. Um, what the gentleman referred to, Markatanyaya versus Marjaranyaya, the two approaches of a devote, of a spiritual seeker. One is like a baby monkey approach, and the way of the kitten. We have the kitten and we have the baby monkey. We have the baby monkey is the baby monkey holds on to its mother by its own strength. But it might fall because it is holding on to the mother. But the kitten does not hold on to the mother. It just surrenders. It just lies there and says meow, meow. And the mother comes and picks up the kitten and takes it from one place to another. But one thing is, that sounds very easy. But one thing is the kitten has accepts wherever the mother puts it. And if it has any problem, it cries to the mother. Then the mother comes and does whatever has to be done. The baby monkey, on the other hand, is naughty. But by its own self-effort, it tries to hold on to the mother. Now, which is better? So, these are the two approaches. The only thing is, as long as we have Katritva, I am doing this, I am doing that, it is better to use that. Katritva means agentship. I do. This feeling. So this thing then it should be directed towards God and that becomes Karma Yoga. What you are saying is the Karma Kanda of the Vedic times. That some people are trying to revive. That's not practical in today's world. It's very difficult and not practical. What Krishna taught in the Bhagavad Gita was transforming your day-to-day -day activities into Karma Yoga. 
that one that is practical definitely practical if it is practical for arjuna in battlefield it should be much easier for us in our day to day lives swami vivekananda said it was practical it was something practiced by the great monarchs emperors of ancient times who are not like figureheads today recently royal wedding or something it was there they are not figureheads like today's world they were actually people with enormous power and responsibility and if they could find time to practice these things if they found it practical how much more we should find it practical to do convert our activities into karma yoga one more thing i wanted to say to you was yes surrender ultimately is higher but it should be a conscious deliberate continuous systematic surrender not that i have surrendered swaha then forgotten everything for 20 years <laughs> that it will not work it is a continuous surrender ramanuja in his system he gives it the highest practice he calls it prapatti prapatti complete surrender to the lord sri ramakrishna gave this example that um, the bird sits on the mast of a ship and the ship starts sailing into the high seas bird did not know the moment it saw seas everywhere it flew to the east it flew to the west no land north south it came back and sat on the mast of the ship helpless the ship itself will take it to land in the same way he said all this flying around is to tire out your wings ultimately come and settle down whatever your path if your path is devotional surrender to god and hold on to god if your path is the path of knowledge settle down in the self the consciousness within and let go that is the path of surrender so the all the practices are just meant for tiring out your wings it will not take you to the goal the ship alone will take you to the goal you have to surrender and hold on to that but there's a corollary to this the funny story one of sri ramakrishna's disciples swami turiyananda he was a very austere monk advaitic monk he was in banaras at that time in his old age one young monk read the story of bird and the master of the ship tiring out the wings and he came and told he was very inspired he told swami turiyananda maharaj i will not fly around anymore i will sit quietly surrender and sit quietly turiyananda ji said when did you fly <laughs> some practice is necessary some practice is necessary otherwise it will not work it our own tendency will make you pra- if i do not practice spiritual practices i will get more and more engaged with the world again it's impossible you cannot just stop like that so better easier way is to divert your activities from worldliness to spirituality same activities you do but with a spiritual act- attitude and then go on to surrender and this is the story of girish ghosh beautiful story to end with girish ghosh well known dramatist of bengal is called the father of bengali theater he was a devotee of sri ramakrishna but led a very bohemian life sri ramakrishna said take the name of god twice in a day that will be enough girish ghosh was one thing was he was very honest all his things he would tell openly to sri ramakrishna he was drunkard he would not hide it he said i don't have any regular routine i cannot give my word that i will take the name of god twice in a day so at least before eating you take the name of god and uh, girish ghosh said when i eat and when i do not eat there is no fixed time i cannot promise that either i cannot promise this i cannot promise that finally sri ramakrishna 
in an ecstatic mood he said then you rascal you give me he said the power of attorney what do you do for power of attorney on my behalf this person will do give me the power of attorney i will do it for you and sri ram gurishkos said yes very nice deal sri ramakrishna will do everything for me i am free but later on in life this same gurishkos was became such a saint and he said every moment now i have to think of sri ramakrishna this thing will he what would he say should i do this or should i not do this should i say this or should i not say this should i even think this or not think this everything is now guided by sri ramakrishna so you see how that total surrender makes you totally god immersed thank you very much i enjoyed my time here thank you jalam krishna i pray to the lord i pray to the lord here and in everywhere in the universe may he bless all of us may his grace be upon all of us may we have peace and joy and may our minds turn to god so that we may be illumined we may get a little bit of that grace in this very life itself this is my prayer to the lord